2: i show. Uh how are you, Robert?
3: Oh, I'm doing uh doing all right, doing all right. Uh just uh, you know, wow, I'm 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 I am i am do not want to give anything away <laughs> with uh the the State of the Union before people get an opportunity uh to listen to it. Uh and, and frankly the Republican response, I don't want to give everything away, but
2: Absolutely, which is why I think we should just go straight to the, uh, uh, what they would call the uh, lion's den of the political arena. And instead of giving a trailer, we're just going to give the uh, the real deal. We're going to show the movie, uh, which is even better than a trailer. And then uh, we'll go from there. How's that sound?
3: Sounds good to me. I think that's uh, a good idea. Again, I just uh, don't want to Uh, give anything away. So, yes, there is, folks, the 2022 State of the Union address.
4: and distinct honor of presenting to you the President of the United States.
0: Thank you. Thank you you all very much. Thank you, General. Thank Thank you.
1: Thank you all very, very much.
0: Thank you. Please. Thank you so much. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President, and our First Lady and Second Gentleman, members of Congress and the Cabinet, Justice of the Supreme Court, my fellow Americans. Last year, COVID-19 kept us apart. This year, we're finally together again. Tonight... Tonight, we meet as Democrats, Republicans, Independents, But most importantly, as Americans, with the duty to one another, to America, to the American people, to the Constitution, and an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world, thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. President Zelensky, to every Ukrainian, their fearlessness, their courage, their determination literally inspires the world. Groups of citizens blocking tanks with their bodies, everyone from students to retirees to teachers, turned soldiers defending their homeland. And in this struggle, President Zelensky said in his speech to the European Parliament, Light will win over darkness. The Ukrainian ambassador to the United States is here tonight sitting with the First Lady. Let each of us, if you're able to stand, stand and send an unmistakable signal to the world. To Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Strong. resolved. Yes. We, the United States of America, stand with the Ukrainian people. Throughout our history, we've learned this lesson: when dictators. Do not pay a price for their aggression. They cause more chaos. They keep moving, and the cost, the threats to America and America to the world keeps rising. That's why the NATO alliance was created to secure peace and stability in Europe after World War II. The United States is a member, along with 29 other nations. It matters. American diplomacy matters. American resolve matters. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. He rejected repeated repeated efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. He thought he could divide us at home, in this chamber, in this nation. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well, but Putin was wrong. We are ready. We are united, and that's what we did. We stayed united. We prepared extensively and carefully. We spent months building coalitions of other freedom-loving nations in Europe and the Americas, from America to the Asian and African continents to confront Putin. Like many of you, I spent countless hours unifying our European allies. We shared with the world in advance what we knew Putin was planning and precisely how we would try to falsify and justify his aggression. We countered Russia's lies with the truth. And now, now that he's acted, the free world is holding him accountable, along with 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, even Switzerland, are inflicting pain on Russia and supporting the people of Ukraine. Putin is now isolated from the world more than he has ever been together, together together together, along with our allies we are right now enforcing powerful economic sanctions we're cutting off Russia's largest banks in the international financial system Preventing Russia's central bank from defending the Russian Ruble, Ruble, making Putin's $630 billion war fund worthless. We're choking, Russia's access. We're choking Russia's access to technology that will sap its economic strength and weaken its military for years to come. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more the United States I mean it The United States Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. He has no idea what's coming. The ruble has already lost 30% of its value. The Russian stock market has lost 40% of its value, and trading remains suspended. The Russian economy is reeling, and Putin alone is the one to blame. Together with our allies, we're providing support to the Ukrainians in their fight for freedom. Military assistance, economic assistance, humanitarian assistance, We're giving more than a billion dollars of direct assistance to Ukraine, and we'll continue to aid the Ukrainian people as they defend their country and help ease their suffering. But let me be clear, our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies in the event that Putin decides to keep moving west. For that purpose, we have mobilized American ground forces, air squadrons, ship deployments to protect NATO countries, including Poland, Romania, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And as I've made crystal clear, The United States and our allies will defend every inch of territory that is NATO territory with the full force of our collective power, every single inch. And we're clear-eyed. Ukrainians are fighting back with pure courage, but the next few days, weeks, and months will be hard on them. Putin has unleashed violence and chaos. But while he may make gains on the battlefield, he'll pay a continuing high price over the long run. And a pound of Ukrainian people, the proud, proud people, pound for pound, ready to fight with every inch of energy they have. They've known 30 years of independence, have repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. To all Americans, I'll be honest with you, as I always promised I would be. A Russian dictator of fa- invading a foreign country has cost around the world. And I'm taking robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at Russian economy and that we use every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers. Tonight, I can announce the United States has worked with 30 other countries to release 60 million barrels of oil from reserves around the world. America will lead that effort, We've releasing 30 million barrels of our own Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And we stand ready to do more if necessary, united with our allies. These steps will help blunt gas prices here at home. But I know news about what's happening can seem alarming to all Americans. But I want you to know we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay when the history of this era is written. Putin's war in Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Well, and while it shouldn't, and while it shouldn't have taken, while it shouldn't have taken something so terrible for people around the world to see what's at stake, now everyone sees it clearly. We see the unity among leaders of nations, a more unified Europe, a more unified West. We see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. This is the real test. And it's going to take time, so let's continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people, to our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forge a deep bond that connects our two nations. We stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom, and he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. tonight in an America that has lived through two of the hardest years this nation has ever faced. The pandemic has been punishing, and so many families are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to keep up with the rising cost of food, gas, housing, and so much more. I understand, like many of you did. My dad had to leave his home in Scranton, Pennsylvania, to find work. So like many of you, I grew up in a family when the price of food went up It was felt throughout the family. It had an impact. That's when one of the first things I did as president was fight to pass the American Rescue Plan. Because people were hurting, we needed to act, and we did. Few pieces of legislation have done more at a critical moment in our history to lift us out of a crisis. It fueled our efforts to vaccinate the nation and combat COVID-19. Delivered immediate economic relief to tens of millions of Americans. It helped put food on the table Remember those long lines of cars waiting for hours just to get a box of food put in their trunk? It cut the cost of health care insurance. And as my dad used to say, it gave the people just a little bit of breathing room. Unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan... The American Rescue Plan help working people and left no one behind. jobs, lots of jobs. In fact, our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year. More jobs in one year than ever before in the history of the United States of America. The economy grew at a rate of 5.7 last year, the strongest growth rate in 40 years, and the first step in bringing fundamental change to our economy that hasn't worked for working people in this nation for too long. For the past 40 years, we were told that tax break for those at the top and benefits would trickle down and everyone would would benefit. But that trickle down theory led to a weaker economic growth, lower wages, bigger deficits and a widening gap between the top and everyone else in in, in nearly a century. Look, Vice President Harris and I ran for office and I realized we had fundamental disagreements on this, but ran for office with a new economic vision for America invest in America, educate Americans, grow the workforce, build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not from the top down. Because we know, because we know, because we know when the middle class grows, when the middle class grows, the poor a way up and the wealthy do very well. America used to have the best roads, bridges, and airports on Earth. And now our infrastructure is ranked 13th in the world. We won't be able to compete for the jobs of the 21st century if we don't fix it. That's why it was so important to pass the bipartisan infrastructure law. And I thank my Republican friends who joined to invest in rebuild America. The single biggest investment in history. It was a bipartisan effort, and I want to thank the members of both parties who worked to make it happen. We're done talking about infrastructure weeks. We're now talking about an infrastructure decade. And look, it's going to, it's going to transform America. Put us on a path to win the economic competition of the 21st century that we face with the rest of the world, particularly China. I've told Xi Jinping, it's never been a good bet to bet against the American people. We'll create good jobs for millions of Americans, modernizing roads, airports, ports, waterways all across America, and we'll do it to withstand the devastating effects of climate change and promote environmental justice. We'll build a national network of 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations. Begin to replace the poisonous lead pipes so every child, every American has clean water to drink at home and at school. We're gonna provide, provide affordable, high speed internet for every American, rural, suburban, urban, and tribal communities. 4,000 projects have already been announced. Many of you have announced them in your districts. And tonight, I'm announcing that this year, we will start fixing over 65,000 miles of highway and 1,500 bridges in disrepair. folks, taxpayers' dollars to rebuild America, we're going to do it by buying America, buy American products, support American jobs. The federal government spends about $600 billion a year to keep this country safe and secure. There's been a law on the books for almost a century to make sure taxpayers' dollars support American jobs and businesses. Every administration, Democrat or Republican, says they'll do it. But we're actually, we're actually doing it. We'll buy America to make sure every, everything from the deck of an aircraft carrier to the steel on highway guardrails is made in America from beginning to end. All of it. All of it. But folks... To compete for the jobs of the future, we also need a loving playing field with China and other competitors. That's why it's so important to pass the Bipartisan Innovation Act sitting in Congress that will make record investments in emerging technologies and American manufacturing. We used to invest almost 2% of our GDP in research and development. We don't now. Can't. China is. Let me give you one example why it's so important to pass. If you travel 20 miles east of Columbus, Ohio, you'll find 1,000 empty acres of land. It won't look like much, but if you stop and look closely, you'll see a field of dreams, the ground on which America's future will be built. That's where Intel, the American company that helped build Silicon Valley, is going to build a $20 billion semiconductor megasite. Up to eight state-of-the-art factories in one place. 10,000 new jobs. And in those factories, the average job is about $135,000 $135, a year. Some of the most sophisticated manufacturing in the world to make computer chips the size of a fingertip. The power of the world in everyday lives. From smartphones, technology to the Internet, technology that's yet to be invented. But that's just the beginning. Intel CEO's Pat Gelsinger, who is here tonight, I don't know where Pat is. Pat, there you go, Pat, stand up. Pat. Pat came to see me and he told me they're ready to increase their investment from 20 billion to 100 billion. That would be the biggest investment in manufacturing in American history. And all they're waiting for is for you to pass this bill. So let's not wait any longer. Send it to my desk. I'll sign it, and we'll really take off in a big way. And, folks, Intel is not alone There's something happening in America. Just look around and you'll see an amazing story. The rebirth of pride that comes from stamping products made in America. The revitalization of American manufacturing. Companies are choosing to build new factories here when just a few years ago they would have gone overseas. That's what's happening. Ford is investing $11 billion in electric vehicles, creating 11,000 jobs across the country. GM is making the largest investment in its history. billion to build electric vehicles, creating 4,000 jobs in Michigan. All told, 369,000 new manufacturing jobs were created in America last year alone. Folks. Powered by people I've met like Jojo Burgess from generations of union steelworkers in Pittsburgh who's here tonight. Where are you, Jojo? There you go. Thanks, buddy. As Ohio, as Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown says, as Sherrod Brown says it's time to bury the label Rust Bell. It's time to see the What used to be called the rust belt become the the, the home of of a significant resurgence of manufacturing. And with all the bright spots in our economy, record job growth, higher wages, too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. I get it. That's why my top priority is getting prices under control. Look, our economy roared back faster than almost anyone predicted. But the pandemic meant that businesses had a hard time hiring enough people because of the pandemic to keep up production in their factories. She so didn't have people making those beams that went in the buildings because they were out. The factory was closed. The panic also disrupted the global supply chain. Factories closed. When that happens, it takes longer to make goods and get them to the warehouses, to the stores and prices go up. Look at cars last year. One third of all the inflation was because of automobile sales. There weren't enough semiconductors to make all the cars that people wanted to buy. And guess what? Prices of automobiles went way up, especially used vehicles as well. And so we have a choice. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poorer. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. (laughs) Folks, that means make more cars and semiconductors in America. More infrastructure and innovation in America. More goods moving faster and cheaper in America. More jobs where you can earn a good living in America. Instead of relying on foreign supply chains, let's make it in America. Look. Economists. the productive capacity of our economy of our economy I call it building a better America (laughs) my plan to fight inflation will lower your costs and lower the deficit 17 Nobel laureates in economics said my plan will ease long-term inflationary pressures top business leaders and I believe most Americans support the plan and here's the plan First, cut the cost of prescription drugs. We pay more for the same drug produced by the same company in America than any other country in the world. Just look at insulin. One in 10 Americans has diabetes. In Virginia, I met a 13-year-old boy, the handsome young man standing up there, Joshua Davis. type 1 diabetes, which means they need insulin every single day. Insulin costs about $10 a vial to make. That's what it costs the the pharmaceutical company. But drug companies charge families like Joshua and his dad up to 30 times that amount. I spoke with Joshua's mom. Imagine what it's like to look at your child who needs insulin to stay healthy and have no idea how in God's name you're going to be able to pay for it. What it does to your family, but what it does to your dignity, your ability to look your child in the eye, to be the parent you expect yourself to be. I really mean to think about that. That's what I think about. You know, yesterday, Joshua's here tonight, but yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, buddy, by the way. So Joshua and 200,000 other young people with type 1 diabetes. Let's cap the cost of insulin at $35 a month. So everyone can afford it. And drug companies will do very, very well, their profit margin. While we're at it. I know we have great disagreements on this floor of this. Let's let Medicare negotiate the price of prescription drugs. They already hit the price for VA drugs. Look, the American Rescue Plan is helping millions of families with Affordable Care Act plans to save them $2,400 a year on their health premiums. Let's close the coverage gap and make these savings permanent. And second, let's cut energy costs for families. An average of five hundred dollars a year by combating climate change let provide an investment tax credits to weatherize your home and your business to be energy efficient and get a tax credit for it double America's clean energy production in solar wind and so much more lower the price of electric vehicles saving another eighty dollars a month that you're not going to have to pay at the pump
1: <laughs> folks
0: The third thing we can do to change the standard of living for hard-working folks is cut the cost of child care. Cut the cost of child care. Folks, if you live in a major city in America, you pay up to $14,000 a year for child care per child. I was a single dad for five years, raising two kids. I had a lot of help, though. I had a mom, a dad, a brother and a sister that really helped. But middle-class and working folks shouldn't have to pay more than 7% of their income to care for the young children. My plan, my plan would cut the cost of child care in half for most families and help parents, including millions of women, who left the workforce during the pandemic because they couldn't afford child care to be able to get back to work, generating economic growth. But my plan doesn't stop there. It also includes home and long-term care, more affordable housing, (laughs) pre-K for three and four-year-olds. All these will lower costs for families. And under my plan, nobody, let me say this again, nobody earning less than $400,000 a year will pay an additional penny in new taxes, not a single penny. I may be wrong, but my guess is that we took a secret ballot in this floor that we'd all agree that the present tax system ain't fair. We have to fix it. I'm not looking to punish anybody. But let's make corporations and wealthy Americans start paying their fair share. Look, last year, last year, like Chris Coons and Tom Carper and my distinguished Congresswoman, we come from the land of corporate America. There are more corporations incorporated in America than every other state in America combined. And I still won 36 years in a row. The point is, even they understand they should pay just a fair share. Last year, 55 of the Fortune 500 companies earned $40 billion in profit and paid zero in federal taxes. Now look, it's not fair. That's why I proposed a 15% minimum tax rate for corporations. We've got and that's why in the G7 and other meetings overseas we we're able to put together, I was able to be somewhat helpful, 130 countries degree on a global minimum tax rate. So companies can't get out of paying their taxes at home by shipping jobs and factories overseas. It'll raise billions of dollars. That's why I propose closing loopholes for the very wealthy who don't pay, who pay a lower tax rate than a teacher and a firefighter. So that's my plan, but we'll go in more detail later. I'm going to grow, we will grow the economy, lower the cost of families. So what are we waiting for? Let's get this done. We all know we've got to make changes. Folks. And while you're at it, confirm my nominees for the Federal Reserve, which plays a critical role in fighting inflation. My plan will not only lower costs and give families a fair shot. It will lower the deficit. The previous administration not only ballooned the deficit with those tax cuts for the very wealthy corporations, it undermined the watchdogs, the job of those to keep pandemic relief funds being wasted. Remember we had those debates about whether or not those watchdogs should be able to see every day how much money was being spent, where was it going to the right place? But in my administration, the watchdogs are back. And we're going to go after the criminals who stole billions of relief money meant for small business and millions of Americans. Tonight, I'm announcing that the Justice Department will soon name a chief prosecutor for pandemic fraud. And look. I think we all agree. Thank you. By the end of this year, the deficit will be down to less than half of what it was before I took office. The only president ever to cut the deficit by more than $1 trillion in a single year. Lowering your cost also meant demanding more competition. I'm a capitalist, but capitalism without competition is not capitalism. Capitalism without competition is exploitation. It drives up profits. When corporations have to compete, their profits go up and your prices go up when they don't have to compete. Small businesses and family farmers and ranchers, I need not tell some of my Republican friends from those states, guess what, you got four basic meatpacking facilities, that's it. You play with them, or you don't get to play at all, and you pay a hell of a lot more, a hell of a lot more because there's only four. See what's happening with ocean carriers moving goods in and out of America. During the pandemic, about half a dozen or less foreign-owned companies raised prices by as much as 1,000% and made record profits. Tonight, I'm announcing a crackdown on those companies overcharging American businesses and consumers. As Wall Street firms take over more nursing homes, quality in those homes has gone down and costs have gone up. That ends on my watch. Medicare is going to set higher standards for nursing homes and make sure your loved ones get the care they deserve and that they inspect and they will look at closely. We're also going to cut costs to keep the economy going strong and giving workers a fair shot, provide more training and apprenticeships, higher them based on skills, not just their degrees. Let's pass the Paycheck Fairness Act and pay them. Raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour and extend the child tax credit so no one has to raise the family in poverty. Let's increase Pell Grants, increase our historic support for HBCUs and invest in what Jill our first lady who teaches full-time calls America's best-kept secret community colleges. Look, let's pass the PRO Act. When a majority of workers want to form a union they shouldn't be able to be stopped. When we invest in our workers and we build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out together we can do something we haven't done in a long time. Build a better America. For more than two years COVID has impacted every decision in our lives and the life of this nation. And I know you're tired, frustrated, and exhausted. That doesn't even count the close to a million people who sit at a dining room table or a kitchen table and look at an empty chair because they lost somebody. But I also know this. Because of the progress we've made, because of your resilience and the tools that we have been provided by this Congress, Tonight, I can say we're moving forward safely, back to more normal routines. We've reached a new moment in the fight against COVID-19, where severe cases are down to a level not seen since July of last year. Just a few days ago, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention issued a new mask guideline. Under the new guidelines, most Americans and most of the country can now go mask-free. And based on projections, based on projections, more of the country will reach a point across that point across the next couple of weeks. And thanks to the progress we've made in the past year, COVID-19 no longer need control our lives. I know some are talking about living with COVID-19, but tonight I say that we never will just accept living with COVID-19. We'll continue to combat the virus as we do other diseases. And because this virus mutates and spreads, we have to stay on guard. And here are four common sense steps as we move forward safely, in my view. First, stay protected with vaccines and treatments. We know how incredibly effective vaccines are. If you're vaccinated and boosted, you have the highest degree of protection and we will never give up on vaccinating more Americans. Now, I know parents with kids under five are eager to see their vaccines authorized for their children. Scientists are working hard to get that done. And we'll be ready with plenty of vaccines if and when they do. We're all ready. We, we are also ready with antiviral treatments. If you get COVID-19, the Pfizer pill reduces your chances of ending up in the hospital by 90%. I've ordered more pills than anyone in the world has. Pfizer is working overtime to get us a million pills this month and more than double that next month. And now we're launching the test to treat initiative. So people can get tested at a pharmacy and if they prove positive, receive the antiviral pills on the spot at no cost.
1: (laughs) Folks, if
0: if you're immunocompromised or have some other vulnerability, we have treatments and free high-quality masks. We're leaving no one behind or ignoring anyone's needs as we move forward. On testing, we've made hundreds of millions of tests available, and you can order them for free to your doorstep. And we've already ordered free tests. If you already ordered free tests tonight, I'm announcing you can order another group of tests. Go to covidtest.gov starting next week, and you can get more tests. Second. We must prepare for new variants. Over the past, we've gotten much better at detecting new variants. If necessary, we'll be able to develop new vaccines within 100 days instead of maybe months or years. And if Congress presides the funds we need, we'll have new stockpiles of tests, masks, pills ready if needed. I can't promise a new variant won't come, but I can I promise you we'll do everything within our power to be ready if it does. Third, We can end the shutdown of schools and businesses. We have the tools we need. It's time for America to get back to work and fill our great downtowns again with people. People working from home can feel safe and begin to return to their offices. We're doing that here in the federal government. The vast majority of federal workers will once again work in person. Our schools are open. Let's keep it that way. Our kids need to be in school. <clears throat> the 75% of, adult, 75% of adult Americans fully vaccinated and hospitalizations down by 77%. Most Americans can remove their masks and stay in the classroom and move forward safely. We achieved this because we provided free vaccines, treatments, tests, and masks. Of course, continuing this costs money, so I'll not surprise you, I'll be back to see you all. I'm, re- I'm going to soon send a request to Congress. The vast majority of Americans have used these tools and may want again. We may need them again, so I expect Congress, and I hope you'll pass that quickly. Fourth, we'll continue vaccinating the world. We've sent 475 million vaccine doses to 112 countries, more than any nation on Earth. We won't stop. Because you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a a, a vaccine. The vaccine can stop the spread of these diseases. You know, we've lost so much in COVID-19. Time with one another, the worst of all, the much loss of life. Let's use this moment to reset. So stop looking at COVID as a partisan dividing line. See it for what it is, a god-awful disease. Let's stop seeing each other as enemies and start seeing each other for who we are. Fellow Americans, look. We, we can't change how divided we've been. It's a long time in coming. But we can change how to move forward on COVID-19 and other issues that we must face together. I recently visited the New York City Police Department days after the funerals of Officer Wilbur Mora and his partner, Officer Jason Rivera. They were responding to a 9-11 call when a man shot and killed them with a stolen gun. Officer Moore was 27 years old. Officer Rivera was 22 years old. Both Dominican-Americans who grew up in the same streets, that they later chose to, parole, to uh, patrol as police officers. I spoke with their families, and I told them that we're forever in debt for their sacrifices and will carry on their mission to restore the trust and safety of every community deserves. Like some of you that have been around for a while, I've worked with you on these issues for a long time. I know it works. Investigating crime prevention and community policing, cops who walk the beat, who know the neighborhood, and who can restore trust and safety. Let's not abandon our streets or choose between safety and equal justice. Let's come together and protect our communities, restore trust, and hold law enforcement accountable. That's why the Justice Department has required body cameras, banned chokeholds and restricted no-knocks warrants for its officers. That's why the American Rescue Plan that you all provided $350 billion that cities, states, and counties can use to hire more police, invest in more proven strategies. <laughs> proven strategies like... proven strategies like community violence interruption, trusted messengers, breaking the cycle of violence and trauma, and giving young people some hope, we should all agree the answer is not to defund the police, it's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them with resources and training resources and training they need to protect our communities. I ask Democrats and Republicans alike to pass my budget to keep our neighborhoods safe. And we'll do everything in my power to crack down on gun trafficking of ghost guns that you can buy online, assemble at home. No serial numbers. Can't be traced. I ask Congress to pass proven measures to reduce gun violence. Pass universal background checks. Why should anyone on the terrorist list be able to purchase a weapon? Why? Why? And folks. Ban assault weapons with high capacity magazines will open hundred rounds. <laughs> Look, repeal the liability shield that makes gun manufacturers the only industry in America that can't be sued. The only one. Imagine had we done that with the tobacco manufacturers. These laws don't infringe on the Second Amendment. They save lives. The most fundamental right in America is the right to vote and have it counted. And look, it's under assault. In state after state, new laws have been passed. Not only suppress the vote, we've been there before, but to subvert the entire election. We can't let this happen. Tonight I call on the Senate to pass, pass the Freedom to Vote Act, pass the John Lewis Act, Voting Rights Act. And while you're at it, pass the Disclose Act so Americans know who's funding our election. Look, tonight, I like to honor someone who's dedicated his life to serve this country. Justice Breyer, an Army veteran, constitutional scholar retiring Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Justice Breyer, thank you for your service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. you mean it. Get a- on the United States Supreme Court. As I did four days ago, I've nominated the Circuit Court of Appeals, Katanji Brown Jackson, one of our nation's top legal minds, who continue in Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence. A former top litigator in private practice, a former federal public defender, from a family of public school educators and police officers. She's a consensus builder. Since she's been nominated, she's received a broad range of support, including the Fraternal Order of Police and former judges supported by Democrats and Republicans. Folks, if we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure our border and fix the immigration system. I think we can do both. At our border, we've installed new technology like cutting-edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. We've set up joint patrols in Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. We're putting in place dedicated immigration judges in a significant larger number so families fleeing persecution and violence can have their cases heard faster and those who don't legitimately hear can be sent back. We're screening, we're securing commitments and supporting partners in South and Central America to host more refugees and secure their own borders. We can do all this while keeping lit the torch of liberty that has led the generation of immigrants to this land, my forebears and many of yours. Provide a pathway to citizenship for dreamers, those with temporary status, farm workers, essential workers. Revise our laws so businesses have workers they need. And families don't wait decades to reunite. It's not only the right thing to do, it's economically smart thing to do. That's why the immigration reform is supported by everyone from labor unions to religious leaders to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Let's get it done once and for all. Folks, advancing liberty and justice also requires protecting the rights of women. The constitutional right, affirmed by Roe v. Wade, standing precedent for half a century, is under attack as never before. If you want to go forward, not backwards, we must protect access to health care, preserve a woman's right to choose, and continue to advance maternal health care for all Americans. And folks, for our LGBTQ plus Americans, Let's finally get the Bipartisan Equality Act to my desk. The onslaught of state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families is simply wrong. And I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. Folks. just demonstrated, while it often appears we do not agree, and that we, we do agree on a lot more things than we acknowledge. I signed 80 bipartisan bills in the law last year, from preventing government shutdowns, protecting Asian Americans from still-too-common hate crimes, to reforming military justice, and will soon be strengthening the Violence Against Women Act that I first wrote three decades ago. It's important. It's important for us to show, to show the nation. We can come together and do big things. So tonight I'm offering a unity agenda for the nation. Four big things we can do together, in my view. First, beat the opioid epidemic. There's so much we can do. Increase funding for prevention. Treatment, harm reduction, and recovery. Get rid of outdated rules and stop doctors and, and the, that stop doctors from prescribing treatments. Stop the flow of illicit drugs by working with state and local law enforcement to go after the traffickers. And if you're suffering from addiction, you know you should know you're not alone. I believe in recovery, and I celebrate the 23 million, 23 million Americans in recovery. Second. Let's take on mental health, especially among our children whose lives and education have been turned upside down. The American Rescue Plan gave schools money to hire teachers and help students make up for lost learning. I urge every parent to make sure your school, your school does just that, have the money. We can all play a part. Sign up to be a tutor or a mentor. Children are also struggling before the pandemic, bullying, violence, trauma and the harms of social media. As Francis Haugen, who is here tonight with us, has shown, we must hold social media platforms accountable for the national experiment they're conducting on our children for profit. (laughs) Folks, thank you. Thank you for the courage you showed. It's time to strengthen privacy protections, ban targeted advertising to children, demand tech companies stop collecting personal data on our children. And let's get all Americans the mental health services they need. More people can turn for help and full parity between physical and mental health care if we treat it that way in our insurance. The third piece of that agenda is support our veterans yeah. veterans are the backbone and the spine of this country they're the best of us i've always believed that we have a sacred obligation to equip those we send to war and care for those in their family when they come home my administration providing assistance in job training housing and now helping lower-income veterans get VA care debt-free. And our troops in Iraq and Afghanistan have faced many dangers, one being stationed at bases breathing in toxic smoke from burn pits. (laughs) Many of you have been there. I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. These burn pits that incinerate waste, the waste of war, medical, and hazards, material, jet fuel, and so much more. And they come home, many of the world's fittest and best-trained warriors in the world. Never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag-draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. I don't know for sure if the burn pit that he lived near, that his hooch was near, in Iraq and earlier than that, in Kosovo, is the cause of his brain cancer and the disease of so many other troops. But I am committed to find out everything we can, committed to military families like Danielle Robinson from Ohio, the widow of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson. He was born a soldier. Army National Guard, combat medic in Kosovo and Iraq, stationed near Baghdad just yards from burn pits the size of football fields. Danielle is here with us tonight. They love going to Ohio State football games. Cancer, from prolonged exposure to burn pits, ravaged Heath's lungs and body. Danielle says Heath was a fighter to the very end. He didn't know how to stop fighting, and neither did she. Through her pain, she found purpose to demand that we do better. Tonight, Danielle, we are going to do better. The VA... The VA is firing new ways of linking toxic exposure to disease, already helping more veterans get benefits. And tonight, I'm announcing we're expanding eligibility to veterans suffering from nine respiratory cancers. I'm also calling on Congress to pass a law to make sure veterans devastated by toxic exposure in Iraq and Afghanistan finally get the benefits and the comprehensive health care. Fourth, and last, let's end cancer as we know it. This is personal. This is personal to me, to Jill, and to Kamala, and so many of you. So many of you have lost someone you love. Husband, wife, son, daughter, mom, dad. Cancer is the number two cause of death in America, second only to heart disease. Last month, I announced the plan to supercharge the cancer moonshot that President Obama asked me to lead six years ago. Our goal is to cut cancer death rates by at least 50% over the next 25 years. I think we can do better than that. Turn cancers from death sentences into treatable diseases more support for patients and their families. To get there, I call on Congress to fund what I call ARPA-H, advanced, advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, Pattern after DARPA in the Defense Department, projects that led in DARPA to the Internet, GPS, and so much more to make our forces more safer and be able to wage war more with more clarity. ARPA will have a singular purpose, to drive breakthroughs in cancer, Alzheimer's and diabetes, and more. A unity agenda for the nation. We can do these things. It's within our power, and I don't see a partisan edge to any one of those four things. My fellow Americans, tonight we've gathered in this sacred space a citadel of democracy. In this capital, generation after generation, of Americans have debated great questions amid great strife and have done great things. We fought for freedom, expanded liberty, debated totalitarianism and terror. We built the strongest, freest, and most prosperous nation the world has ever known. Now is the hour, our moment of responsibility, our test of resolve and conscience, of history itself. It is in this moment that our character of this generation is formed. Our purpose is found. Our future is forged. Well, I know this nation. We'll meet the test, protect freedom and liberty, expand fairness and opportunity, and we will save democracy As hard as those times have been, I'm more optimistic about America today than I've been my whole life because I see the future that's within our grasp because I know there's simply nothing beyond our our capacity. We're the only nation on earth that has always turned every crisis we faced into an opportunity. The only nation that can be defined by a single word, possibilities. So on this night, on our 245th year as a nation, I've come to report on the State of the Nation, the State of the Union, and my report is this. The State of the Union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. We are stronger today. We are stronger today than we were a year ago. And we'll be stronger a year from now than we are today. This is our moment to meet and overcome the challenges of our time. And we will, as one people, one America, the United States of America. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you. Go get him.
4: Okay, uh, the speech is about an hour and two minutes, give or take a little bit. Okay, as you heard uh, them say, the hour is
3: about, uh, just about one hour, two minutes. Uh, one of the shortest uh, city unions out there, not a short, uh, probably like the second uh, shortest in, in history, through my understanding of it. Uh, and I know, you know Trump had one that was not, not much more than an hour as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in our friend Joseph, uh, who uh, we – Battled, speaking of battling through, we battled through, and at this point I battled twice through uh, Biden's State of the Union address, one last night and now this time. Um, and my initial take on that, and later on tonight we we're going to have the uh, the GOP response. Uh, but I mean, I'd say until the end, I mean, and you know, it was, it was a lackluster uh, State of the Union, as, as State of Unions go. Uh, you know, try to be motivational towards the end. But I would say overall, it was a pretty pretty lackluster speech. And also, you know, especially at the end when he says, you know, our union is strong. You know, I believe that the majority of Americans don't feel that way. What do you think, Joseph? Joseph, I forgot your mic on. Oh, I'm um, so so so
2: sorry, so sorry. You left
3: the head yourself, Oh, curious. my
2: apologies. <laughs> I was I was taking a nap. About five minutes into the speech, I was just I was uh, I I fell asleep. I guess it was sorry. It was so boring. I just couldn't bear it, so I took a little nap.
1: And um, no,
2: no, no. I almost felt like I wanted to fall asleep through it. Um, couple of observations. I've been watching State of the Union addresses since I was 13. And I've never seen uh, the chamber with so many vacant seats. It was like a ghost town in there. Uh, You had a lot of vacant seats uh, on the Republican side and on the Democratic side, which speaks volumes. That I've never seen that in, you know, ever in my lifetime like that. Uh, Clearly, you have a lot of Democrats who are distancing themselves from Biden. And they think that that Hail Mary is going to save them in the midterms. So for political expediency, they didn't show up. Uh, But what they don't realize is it's too late for that. This is the calm before the storm. And I can't even call it a red tsunami anymore. I'm just going to call it for what it is. It's going to be a red bloodbath in November. And then the Republicans, well, of course, you had – um, yeah, Mitt Romney, you had Mitch McConnell, you had McCarthy, you had Scalise, um, you had Susan Collins, you know, your typical rhinos. Very disappointing to see Ted Cruz there. Very disappointing to see Marjorie Taylor Greene there. I mean, I just don't get it. it if I were a Republican... And I were in office, I would have boycotted it, and I would have not shown up. Like most Republicans, I actually give them credit, didn't show up. Why would Marjorie Taylor Greene show up? And on one occasion, she applauded. I'm like, are you kidding me? Is compassionate conservatism coming back to life from 2000 when George W. Bush ran? That soft conservatism approach that didn't work? That caused eight years of failure that gave the keys to Barack Obama, who then hijacked the party all the way to the left, which used to be a centrist party. So – and then you look at the Supreme Court justices, four only showed up. The other four didn't. That's also unprecedented. So the majority of the so-called applause that the occupier chief was receiving was from his uh staff cabinet members and the very few democrats who showed up who magically were able to clap their hands really loud to make it seem as though they were it was a it was a a raucous crowd or it was a large crowd. So right off the bat before Biden even walks in it's like holy shoots. Wow. This is bad. I mean this is guilt by association. Nobody wants wants to touch the Biden fountain. Nobody. And then the worst part you know, is... But
3: I can just kind of, you know, break some things down, uh, sure. you know, on, on what he you know, you know, talked about. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, if you... Well, one thing like, I brought, you know, I broke down here when I first seen it is how smug Kamala Harris looked. But anyway... Uh, you know he says his duty is to the, the- the people in the- in the Constitution, and then one of his most important duties as you know President of the United States is to pick a Supreme Court justice and he picks uh Ketanji brown jackson and while she may have some qualifications i mean. I mean, she's been overturned a lot, and not just by, like, conservative courts, but liberal ones as well. So you've got someone who's going to be in the highest office of, you know, in the land, you know, court-wise for life, and you're picking someone who has a record of being turned down by, I mean, the, the, the far left. (laughs) <laughs> far less judges i mean what the, i mean what kind of statement does that make uh, now i mean i don't know if it's going to really tip the scales much of, of the supreme court but you know to have someone who's been in turn uh, overturned the way she has you know i just think i just think it just shows that what his criteria really you know is or was with picking at least this first, hopefully first and only, uh, Supreme Court justice,
2: and solely her only qualification is the color of her skin. Same thing as as to why he uh, chose Kamala, the color of her skin, and she was a female. Yeah, we see how Not that's working of her out. The but I can tell you what Biden didn't say at the State of the Union. He didn't talk about Afghanistan. He didn't talk about on day one how he eliminated the Keystone pipeline and other crucial gas lines that we had. He didn't talk about how how his predecessor left us as the most energy independent country in United States history. He didn't say how our predecessor, there was no wars or escalations whatsoever in the time that he was president, and um, he didn't talk about uh, the four historic Middle East peace agreements that our predecessor had, or moving the capital of uh, to Jerusalem in Israel. He didn't talk about Afghanistan. He didn't talk about forty-year high in inflation. He didn't talk about how BLM and Antifa have run amok on our cities and the astronomical crime rates in blue cities like New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago. He didn't talk about any of his failures. He made a speech as though he was in complete denial, like he was talking about a different dimension, as if we were in a different dimension. He basically spent the beginning of the speech talking about Russia and how tough he is on Russia. We all know that is not the case. Coming from his son who took millions of dollars from the mayor of Moscow. And he segued into infrastructure. And he segued into driving down the cost of prescriptions. Then he segued into we need to be united, and how many people have suffered because of inflation, and how many people have suffered because of this pandemic. And I'm literally saying, dude, you are the cause of this. Liberal politicians are the cause of this pandemic with your lockdown measures. You're the cause of it. You're sitting there speaking as if you're not the cause of it. You're the solution to it. And at that point, you see Nancy Pelosi coming, rising up several times. She has tears in her eyes. And I'm thinking, they're more nuts than I thought. I mean, I knew they went nuts. I know they're out of touch <laughs> with reality. I mean, I know they're megalomaniacs, but to see, you know, Nancy Pelosi rise so many times with tears in her eyes, I almost wanted to say, can we donate some uh, some uh, you know Kleenex for her? Can we donate some tissues for her or something like that? I'm mean, I'm seriously. I mean, yeah, she's rising as if the great Martin Luther King was in the room speaking. You got to be kidding me. And then Kamala with her smirks, and it's it's pretty much the way I thought it was going to be, Robert. He has nothing positive to talk about. It's been a colossal thirteen months, unmitigated disasters. So the only well, thing and when he could do is part continue his, what is, you he's know, doing.
3: Unity. Well, when he mentioned part of his unity, uh, well, one thing I find ironic, you know, I guess he's, he's, he's going to be, he's going to try to fix his own. Uh, I guess he's going to try to fix his own uh, self, self-made problems. What I mean by that is, you know, as part of this unity agenda, he's talking about, you know, you know, do something about mental health, which is laudable, of course. You know, I'm not, you know, it is laudable, but when you talk about, let's say, you know, mention the healthcare of children, it's like it's the Democrats and their lockdown policies, and they're keeping kids out of schools and making you know kids wear masks. Uh, and get vaccinated uh, that's that, that kept them out of schools, and that's what's caused, you know, the mental health crisis that we're seeing with children. They're the ones who caused it. And then they want to come back absolutely. and act like you're some kind of hero because you want to, you know, yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh,
3: make that a part of your unity agenda. Oh, let's, get, let's all get behind this. It's like, well, yeah, you're of the course. ones who caused it. Yeah, you should clean up your own mess. Same so, so with the opioid uh, epidemic. Like hello, Absolutely. you know, with your open borders, with all of these illegal immigrants and all these drugs coming into the country through our borders, you, you know, you're focusing and talking about, you know, Ukraine's borders, and and I think we should do something about that. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. Well, I mean, again, that part of your unity agenda. So you know, what our unity agenda should be helping you clean up your messes that you created.
2: And then, all of a sudden, he's talking about how he secured the border. I kid you not. The enhanced technology to secure the border that he's implemented. Then he goes on to say that they are for fully funding the police, which is a 360 capitulation. Uh, And then, (laughs) you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Correct, but you can't make this stuff up. Then the Dems start chanting, USA and I'm thinking what the heck am I watching what like what the what I was like what seriously I mean really (laughs) and 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 and, and so oh man ye actions speak louder than words Robert if the actions on behalf of the Dems With a full 360 capitulation, don't tell you that even they know that it's not even going to be a red tsunami, that it's going to be a red bloodbath in November. (laughs) When is the last time you've heard Democrats at a State of the Union chanting USA? Oh, yeah. I
1: mean, they know. I mean, yeah, it's
3: it's a reckoning. It's a reckoning coming. Right? And, yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and a lot of what we heard in the speech tonight has to do with, you know, it's an election year. Yeah, you know, like them chanting you, as All you right. said, like them chanting USA, like them saying, let's fund the police. Well, yeah, they seen it was very unpopular with America. It's one of the reasons why Biden's poll ratings are so low. You know, and right. like, how many people, I mean, are they really fooling anybody with this? I, I don't know. And I, but I, I certainly know. No, not. they're not. Because
2: even though it was an election year, in all of the state union addresses that Obama made, they never rose up and chanted USA. So you had that for eight years. Then, while Biden was a candidate, they still never rose up uh, in Trump's last state of the union and shouted USA. And they knew it was an election year as well, too. They knew. And then – When Biden stole the election and rigged it, and the Dems rigged it for him, he continued ratcheting up this left-wing lunacy policy, knowing very well that elections were going to be in two years, and that didn't stop him. Now that they see the writing is on the wall, that they are facing probably what's going to be the greatest landslide victory by the GOP in history— in both the House and the Senate. Now they are acting in ways that they never did in any State of the Union address, regardless of the election cycles during the Obama presidency for eight years. And they didn't do it in the four years that President Trump, our rightful president, was calling the shots. So it's it's more than just an election cycle, Robert. It's for the first time they're seeing defeat unlike anything in Democratic history. Remember, the Democratic Party is the longest party in power, not the GOP. The GOP came into existence in 1854. So it just goes to tell you, now the CDC is saying the masks are no longer required. They're only optional. Now New York and Hawaii are no longer requiring COVID passports. Governor Newsom announced no more COVID passports and on top of that they're rescinding the mask mandates. If that ain't fear, I don't know what else is. So basically we had Biden stand up there for a little bit over an hour. He didn't own anything and he was speaking the way he is and that's what makes it a scary situation. He is like all the Democrats who actually attended. They're out of touch with reality. And the ones who didn't, hey, I got to give credit where credit is due, Robert. At least they were smart enough to wisen up now. Believe me, they're still guilty. They still have COVID on their hands. They're still liable for all of the millions of Americans of lives that their policies have harmed and permanently damaged. But make no mistake, at least give them credit, they woke up by the State of the Union by not attending. The same thing with Stacey Abrams. When Biden was in Georgia, she didn't show up. So those Republicans that are praying for a miracle, they think, okay, let's distance ourselves from Biden and Harris and AOC, and let's see how that plays out. It's not going to matter, Robert. It's not going to matter because as Trump said in the CPAC speech last weekend – the American people will never forget. A little bit too late. We will never forget. And Trump made an explosive speech, and he hit the home run. And, and, you know, going over all the Bidens and the left failures, where they have taken us as a country, and plenty of hints that he is going to be running in 2024. So it was a boring speech, had no substance, talked about different projects he wanted to implement but didn't say how it would be or how it would be paid for. Robert, the Democrats are in complete denial.
3: It's kind of like – I mean, of course he's not going to bring this up as well. I mean, you know, is, I mean – and this is stuff i do I hope the voters you know come November don't forget is that more people died of covid under Obama than than during the trump administration, so I mean more people died there i mean and I hope that people don't you know watch this and hear this and yeah you know, see what the Democrats are trying to do now and and, and forget how they were you know, prior to the State of the Union address.
2: It's impossible to forget once everything has been taken from Sorry. you. You can't forget. And the problem is their draconian policies and almost every blue state has basically ended people's livelihoods. So for a lot of Americans who've lost everything or on the brink of losing everything, you can't forget. You don't forget trauma. It's impossible. They're they're emotional scars. You can't forget it. That's something that just doesn't go away. For people who had businesses for 20, 30 years, mortgages for 20, 30 years, were renting apartments for like over a decade, always paid their rent on time. Uh, People who had their livelihoods taken away from them. People who had to flee states and where they were born and raised and they had all their roots and they had their family there, you can't forget. It's impossible. Trauma doesn't go away. You could get all the therapy you want in the world. You may be able to forgive, but you never forget. And trust me, these people, millions of Americans whose livelihoods are forever changed, never going to come back. They're never going to be compensated. There'll never be reparations for those millions of Americans. Never. They cannot forget. It's impossible. Imagine, Robert, tomorrow, hypothetically, I were to be evicted, and then all my stuff would be thrown out. And then I wouldn't have a job. And then I wouldn't have income. And I'm sleeping in a tent. And let's say I still magically, by some miracle, just had my phone up and running, the only thing I had left, and I watched the State of the Union speech. Do you think they're rescinding all of the COVID lockdown measures? Do you think a person, hypothetically in my position, would be able to forget that? Historical question, no. I'm in a tent. I lost my apartment. I don't have a job. I don't know how I'm gonna eat. I'm out in the elements. It's too late. Damage done.
3: Well and I, and I and still that's, think that's, uh, that's, that's Well and they still and they still want to uh I remember they, they still wanna get that you know, vaccinate children under five years old. It's ridiculous. They still have not given up on that one. It is. And
2: I think as conservatives, and especially conservative candidates that are running, they need to continue to remind their voters. They need to continue to remind their base and also have an open tent to all who want to join in in, in reviving nationalism. All who want to join under the same tent. They need to keep – and that's a strategy they should implement. Anyone who's running – for the midterms at the state at the local levels keep on reminding the people who you are asking for their vote keep on reminding them what the democrats have done and are continuing to done or continuing to do don't make them forget even though i told you it's almost impossible to forget once severe trauma has been inflicted or have you lost everything due to these draconian measures keep reminding them keep pounding the pavement Because that's what President Trump is doing at his rallies. Oh, he's relentless. He's reminding them left and right. He's doing it at every rally. And when there's an update of another unmitigated disaster that's at the hands of the occupiers-in-chief, oh, he reminds them. And that's what the other candidates need to do. They need to join in solidarity and, and continuing to remind the American people this is what the left have done to America. Look. We're in turmoil. We're a republic on the brink of – and this is what they're continuing to do. That's really important, Robert, because you can't unscrambled scrambled eggs. Now, unless Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Kristen Gillibrand are willing to give up their entire fortune – the, the the millions of dollars that they're worth, or even more. Some are even worth a couple of hundred million dollars, and unless they're willing to pay reparations to those families who've lost everything because of the draconian liberal lockdown measures that were never necessary to have begun with, and never should have happened, unless they're willing to do that, which we know that it, that's not that's never going to happen. Hell's going to freeze over till that happens. The American people will not forget. Mark my words, Robert, when they go into that voting box, I am saying as of today, March the 2nd, 2022, Republicans will win in the largest landslide in both houses in GOP history because what has happened under liberal policies, all that damage, it cannot be undone. It could never be the same again. New York will never be the same New York that it was before. Chicago, Los Angeles, Honolulu, Seattle, it'll never be the same. At least in my lifetime, for as many more years as the Lord gives me, unless a miracle happens. The damage that has been done is irreversible, and so that's that's basically where we're at right now. Twenty twenty two is the back, And
3: what one thing I'm going to come back to is you know in the beginning of the speech when you know he was talking about Ukraine and yeah I definitely got a, a lot of mixed thoughts on what I think that the United States should do in this instance, Uh, I mean, part of me thinks, man, we really need to help these people out, you know, militarily, not just with arms. And with arms and money, I don't know about getting people involved. Um, I think we should have done things way to, you know, way earlier than what we have. But one of the things, but back to Biden, is one of the things he he was praising uh, the Ukrainians as well he should uh, about how they're defending their country right against foreign invasion. Well, one thing that I, I hope we never have to worry about here in these United States of America is an invasion like Ukraine is suffering through. But just you know, but that doesn't not necessarily say that's never going to happen here. So I think what we are seeing in Ukraine is. A very good reason to remind people uh, you know and remind Biden is that that's why we need to be armed with weapons such as a r fifteen that's why you know when hes talking about oh well you know you you take away these uh these you know semi automatic weapons or, or weapons that could have a hundred shots right okay we uh we i i we we should have those type of weapons Uh, In order to protect us, if something like this does happen, I mean, this is a dangerous world, and just because you know, you know, Ukraine is of course a smaller country compared to to Russia, you know. However, who's not to say that we wouldn't one day get uh, invaded by China, and then you know, we have to have a guerrilla or in the streets war if we're unarmed. Or if we're just trying to shoot at these, you know, the the, the military with, you know, with frankly handguns, I think I think what's happening in Ukraine is a great example as to why we, you know, the just the, your regular American, you know, uh, you know American citizen should have access to weapons such as AR-15s and you know high capacity, uh, you know, weapons.
2: Well, first of all, President Zelensky, I have to give him credit. He has balls, something that Biden never has had and never will. He realizes that Putin has given the order to have him assassinated, and he's had many opportunities to flee his country, and he's like, no, I am not fleeing my people. Even if it results in my death, I am not fleeing my country. I'm not giving up on my people. If this were Biden, they'd be rushing him in underground bunkers. Biden would be the first one to say, "Uh, uh, uh, can we go now? So Zelensky, Biden will never even be the shell of what Zelensky is. I mean, he has proven he definitely has guts. He has balls. He has fortitude. He could have taken the easy way out, which many have done in in history when they needed to evacuate when they were being invaded. But he's saying, no, I'm staying. And we need to do more. We, we, We need to give them more arms. We need to give them more military intel. We need to give them more weapons. But I do not believe we should have any boots on the ground and zelensky is fine with that but he's pleading and saying don't send us blankets we need more weaponry we need more american intel so we can best defend ourselves and that's not happened. should there well, be boots I on,
3: well no? i think it's ha- well i think it's happening now i think there's a report where you know we're, we're sending those um Singer missiles now However, that being said, I, I think it's too little too late. I mean, yeah, it's great that, that we're sending them now, but I, I think it's too late. I mean, we'll let's still send them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, uh, let's not do anything now. But, I mean, we we should have done this a, a long time ago. I mean, I know Trump no. here, I mean, he, authori- he authorized, you know, missiles being sent to uh, to Ukraine for their defense. But I mean, during this Correct. current administration—or I call regime—they should have done, They they should have had those weapons there much earlier.
2: And here's where the dilemma lies: if Putin is crazy enough to invade Poland or the Baltics, that would force NATO to automatically respond with boots on the ground, which would mean America would have to have boots on the ground. Now that's the point of no return if Putin, if that happens. So uh, today at the UN, 141 nations condemned Russia, and only two nations abstained from that vote, and that was India and China. So, and many people are giving firsthand accounts of saying that President Putin is not altogether upstairs. He's not completely oh, yeah. cognizant. He's, I think, he's, I think He has he's gone declined now. in has his, his mental state in his health. Correct. He has declined in his mental and uh, He has become more paranoid. Uh, he's he's extremely become paranoid about COVID. Uh, there's some 1st sign accounts that are saying that he's so paranoid he doesn't want to uh, communicate on a cell phone or use the internet. And so we may have Nazi Germany all over again. We may have Adolf Hitler, who by 1943, he was completely declining in his health and was making wrong decisions that changed the course of the war for the Allies, and that's kind of what Vladimir is doing. He's kind of turned into a a, a declining megalomaniac. And so and here's the caveat, Robert. You have Putin that is having cognitive issues, and that's not all there,
1: and then you have
2: Biden, and I'm thinking, wow, did we really come to this? Has the world really come to this? Both are out of their damn yeah, minds. I, I, They're both crazy.
3: Yeah, it was uh, something of um, – I wouldn't go as far as to say shock, but I mean – you kind of—it's one of those times you see it—you see it coming, but then when it's here, you're like, you know, you're, you're really surprised. And and I don't think that you know for them to say this was inevitable, yeah, uh, I think it's a crock of shit to be honest. I mean, and then the, you know, first because for, I mean, first Biden comes around and says that the, you know, the the sanctions were meant to deter uh, Putin, and then when they didn't work, they turn around and be like, oh well, no, they weren't really meant to be uh you know a deterrent to putin well no you're just saying that now because it you know it didn't work uh because you're, you're and you were weak and you've heard me say this many times on the program you know biden's weakness threatens america but i i, I see it's proving out that biden's weakness may be very well threatening the world you know the peace of the world i mean especially when you got you know putin now threatening you know basically nuclear retaliation.
2: Absolutely. And not only that, Biden had about twenty twenty one gaps in the whole speech. At one point, instead of saying the Ukrainians, he was saying the Iranians.
3: Right, so, yeah, he did he did. You know, Even Kamala yeah, even Kamala Harris caught that. You should have seen the look on her face. She was kinda of like <sighs> It Had that oh my gosh look on her face because she caught it too. It was kind of funny seeing her her reaction to that.
2: And it's sad. And whenever America has led from behind, it has always emboldened our enemies. When America always leads as the free leader of the world, we always prevail. And you got to give it. You know, Trump said it brilliantly at CPAC. I was laughing. I was. It was hilarious. He was saying how back uh, when he was president um, in 2019, when he announced the withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan, he was speaking to Abdul, who was, the lead, who was the leader of the Taliban. And he said, Abdul, and he would – Trump said he would call him his excellency, Mr. President. And he goes, yes. And he goes, uh, Abdul asked uh, President Trump, why did you send me a picture of my house? And Trump says, well, I was just being diplomatic. (laughs) I couldn't. I I, I was just laughing. I was bawling. That's why the Taliban didn't even dare. I didn't even know that happened. He revealed that at CPAC. I, I didn't know. So he basically sent an actual picture of the leader of the Taliban's home, and basically the message is pretty clear, Robert. Uh, you touch one single hair on an American shoulder, uh, 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 I'm sorry, on a um, one strand of hair on an American scalp. Uh, I know where you live. You have the most powerful military in the world. Basically, I could just take you out with a drone. I could take you and your concubines and your kids. Yeah. And for the 18 months, for 18 months straight, not one American was injured in Afghanistan. So I believe that Afghanistan was the precursor for Russia. I think that was the litmus test for China as well, for North Korea and Iran. They were looking to see how far they could go because they do realize that Biden by far is the weakest in American history. You could combine five of the worst presidents in United States history, and Biden will still outrank them as worst. And so Afghanistan was where all our enemies were seeing for the first time, okay, how will this regime react in crisis? In and in the first, international conflict of the biden regime and when they saw what a complete failure it was how weak he was 13 soldiers marines who were murdered and he did nothing to hold them accountable
1: i no, believe that is
2: the green light for russia and i believe now that russia has invaded ukraine It's going to give the green light for China to invade Taiwan. It's going to give another green light for that maniac in North Korea, Kim Jong-un, to continue shooting ballistic missiles into Japanese waters. And it's going to give Iran all the time they need to build up their nukes.
3: They might probably end up finally trying to take over Iraq. Yeah, I mean – I hate to say it, but I mean, we do have the makings—and hopefully not, and hopefully I'm wrong—but uh, we do have the, the the makings of a possible World War III. Something I never thought that I would ever see. I thought that you know the world was smart enough to to not, you know, for, for that not to happen. But I'm not I'm not too sure anymore.
2: I'm not sure either. Believe me, every day I wake up and I cringe when I'm turning on that news to see what's going on next. Only a week ago as we were on the show, a week ago as we were on the show, Russia invaded Ukraine. Later, yeah. they're already in the city of Kiev and they're getting really close. And so World War III is a very scary prospect because it would be the nuclear holocaust. It would be the end of, uh, you know, the doomsday scenario because of all the ballistic nuclear missiles that all these countries have. Forget it. We just nuke each other to death. And I honestly don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I honestly think that as long as we take back the House and the Senate and we ensure that the remaining two years is a lame duck session for the occupiers-in-chief, and I also think that once the whole world sees that Trump is coming back, that he's going to pull a Grover Cleveland, I think that will keep them out of bay. I honestly do. This is just not some pie in the sky hope. This is realistic hope. I really, really think they will. And as you know, that
3: tells me. Well, what that
2: tells me, though,
3: Joseph, is that what that tells me, and and I I agree with you, uh, that I think, you know, Trump will run again. I think he's got a very good shot of winning. But what that tells me is that with the places like China, North Korea, Iran, and you've heard me say this many times on the show, uh, I think the next axis of evil, so to speak, uh, is going to be Russia, China, and Iran. I mean, North Korea, they're really not – I think they're – I think they can harm people in the region, but I think globally they're inconsequential. But I think on a global scale that – that's that's your new axis of evil. If if we were to have even a conventional third world war, which I think that's that's in. But here's my here's my prediction: is that I think that uh, unfortunately Russia is going to take over Ukraine. I, I think it's going to come to the point where uh, people are just going to you know the, the, they're just going to allow that to happen. And back on point to what you said. Is that that I think that's going to embolden China, and China, knowing exactly what you just said, okay, Trump's going to come back, and Trump's you know would not allow this. This is our time to attack, uh, you know, Taiwan and bring them into the fold. Uh, and I don't think that you know this is, this regime currently uh, occupying in the White House uh, would have the strength to to stop them. Uh, and because th- they're going to think, look, this is you know, China's going. I think China's going to think, you know, this is uh, you know, this is our time. You know, I mean, we we need to do this now. Uh, I, I mean, I'm hoping I'm Hold wrong. Up. I think that I think I think that is more detrimental to our national security than uh, than frankly the Ukraine. Now, Ukraine, I think. I mean, what, let me ask you this. Maybe they disband it. Maybe I I I mean, I guess they haven't followed the U. N. too much, but. I mean, does the UN peacekeeping force even exist anymore?
2: Only a name or only. A has um, only a name only. They they're they very weak with their leadership. But you make an interesting point about China saying that this is their moment to move in. So let's do a hypothetical scenario. Let's let's and let's make the analogy of what happened in World War II, right? What did Japan do? They took over China. They took over most of Asia. They occupied it. Uh, You know, they took over the Philippines. What did Nazi Germany have by 1941? They had a vice and a grip on almost all of Europe. Scary times, right? And the Americans came into the war and the Americans should have, come and should have joined uh, the war earlier. They should not have waited for Pearl Harbor to have you know, seen the writing on the wall. Unfortunately, it did lead to a world war to rescue the world from the axis of evil, which at the time were the imperial empire of Japan, uh, the fascist country of Italy under Mussolini, and Germany. So let's say those were to hypothetically play out. Then I see a World War II scenario repeat where once they have strong leadership, because remember, if Winston Churchill had never been prime minister, there's no doubt in my mind historically that Hitler would have succeeded in invading England. And we'd all be speaking German today. Neville Chamberlain, he failed and thinking that appeasement was going to work with Hitler in 1938. So if that were to happen, let's say, hey, China goes into Taiwan. Okay, Iran starts building up their nuclear stockpile. North Korea is still a player because North Korea basically does whatever the Chinese government tells them to do because they heavily rely on China for all of their supplies. So North Korea basically would just tag along. Then, unfortunately, and this is very scary to even think, Trump would be taking office. He would be the Winston Churchill of 2024. He would be the Harry Truman of, you know, the 1940s when America was fighting with, with, with the uh, Allies. And that's what would have to happen, unfortunately. And I hope we never get to see that. But if they do move in like you say they would because this is the time, history has proven that, hey, Japan tried that. They tried world domination by taking over all of Asia. And they almost succeeded, Robert. They came very close to succeeding. Germany wanted complete global domination by first taking over Europe. And he almost succeeded. So if that happens, Donald Trump would have to be the Winston Churchill of 2024, and we would see ourselves in a World War III. And I'm not saying this to hyperbolize or not saying this to create fear. I'm saying this because history has shown when countries have tried that, world domination – Three leaders of the world stood up and said, not on our watch. And if it weren't for the French, the British, the Americans, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Robert. If it weren't for the Russians, all fighting against Nazi Germany, Japan, and Italy, today we would all be speaking German. What say you?
3: yeah, I mean, I I'll agree, I'll, and I'll go back even further, which, uh, you know, if you go back to World War One, there was equal support early on in the war, at least, uh, here in the United States for us to actually join uh, Germany in World War One. you know, because, I mean, we still had, you know, those, those old feelings, you know, about England, uh, you know, with the, you know, with the Revolutionary War and you know, we had a lot of German Americans here in the United States. We had a lot of Irish, uh, which you know, here in the United States as well. And so, the, it was about half the po- you know half the population was supported us actually joining German uh, Germany until I think you know we you know a, a, a boat of ours got attacked or something of that nature. But I mean, could you imagine? I mean, Russia. I mean, I know this is all speculative, but I mean, you know, Russia would not be. A superpower right now. Uh, if the Germany would have won World War I, <laughs> it would have been us in Germany uh, probably would have been, you know, came out of that. Now, I think that just the sheer size of uh, China with its population and its uh, access to resources uh, makes them, you know, in line to become the next uh, hegemony, certainly. I mean, now, I mean, look how strong, you know, you know, England was you know it's such a small island, and how much of the world they had dominance over. But that's you know, but now with with China with all of it, with its resources and and frankly its immense population, you know I think uh, the only a possible ally that we should have would be India. Now, India abstaining from that vote, and through what I've read, they abstained from that vote due to. They don't think there was enough diplomacy uh, attempted, uh, you know, to stop the the invasion. So, you know, that's why they they abstained from it, you know, from from voting about it. But, I mean, that's who I think we really – and I, I know uh, Trump did go to India and, and start to build an alliance. But I think that's who, you know, we really need to ally against, you know, because, you know, one, their presence in the region, you know, their historical – uh, adversaries to Pakistan, you know, for one. So I think that it would be in our, you know, best interest to, uh, you know, ally with India. And then when it comes to boots on the ground, when it, I mean, I, I think I think we have a bigger stake in what happens in our national security if China were to invade Taiwan than Russia invading our, 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 you know, the Ukraine. Now, I mean, it really it, it burns me to see what's going up and you know going on in, in the Ukraine. I mean, it really what you know makes me want us to to do something. I mean, I think you like know, I think Sean Handy said you know we should take take a drone or something, some drones, you know, and, and knock some holes in that forty uh, forty mile convoy. So, but I mean, I, I think you know, but how how much of that you know, is, is actually in our best national interest. I mean, I do think we need to keep our powder dry for, um, you know, for if, 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 you know, for if China does decide to invade, uh, you know, Taiwan, I, th- I think that's more of a national security interest to us.
2: Robert, to be honest, we're at the point where we're at the point of no return. It's too late for that. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't at this point. We're way past that. That's how much damage the occupiers-in-chief has caused the United States and, and the whole global community in 13 months. We're beyond that. So at the end of the day, whether we do or do not, our, 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 our most ardent enemies already know they smell the blood in the water like the sharks. They already have the green light to invade Taiwan, to... Continue shooting ballistic missiles into Japan. To Iran, continuing to build their stockpile of nuclear weapons. So really, at this point, damned if we do, damned if we don't. And you got to remember, you know, going back to World War II, what Japan was able to achieve was quite remarkable. I mean. For the country of Japan to dominate all of Asia and especially China, that's significant. And so if China does invade Taiwan before – and this is all hypothetical – before Trump gets sworn into office if he runs, then we will have no choice because we will have to do what we will have to do to protect our allies and protect the the global community. And you know Trump is not going to just go into office and turn the other way around and say, well, oh, well, it it wasn't under my watch. So if China wants to annex Taiwan and, you know, Russia wants to permanently annex Ukraine like they've done with Georgia and Crimea, and if Iran just wants to continue building their stockpile – until they have the most powerful nuclear arsenal in the world, and if North Korea wants to continue shooting ballistic missiles into Japanese territory, we all know. We all know that the world, our allies, our allies who can't even trust us anymore, who can't even trust America in having up their backs, that's why NATO is so apprehensive about not wanting to get any boots on the ground because whenever america in history has led from behind it scares our allies our allies always look up to america for us to lead to lead the pack and so at the end of the day we all know if trump goes into office in 2024 we all know he is not going to let that stand So, yeah, it's going to involve boots on the ground. It's probably going to involve a World War III. It, It is going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be just like World War II when the Allies said, well, yeah, Japan has a vice over Asia and Nazi Germany has a vice over Europe, but that's not going to stop us. They were fighting to liberate the world of their endeavors of world domination. Now that is a very scary prospect, Robert, but it's very realistic if you think about it. Robert, do you really believe if Trump gets elected again, he's just gonna sit there and say, well, it's water under the bridge, let's look the other way, it didn't happen under my watch, but I'll ensure that if any other country tries to invade our allies, then I'll step in. No, we all know. Trump has made it clear if if if, if he were to run for office again hypothetically at his rallies and if they were to make those moves that he would send a message so so impactful with the full might of our military that they would regret or they will rue the day that they did what they did, Robert. Now we enter a potential World War Three. And the sad part is, Robert, most people haven't still not learned the mistakes of World War II, and that's a shame, Robert. Over 50 million people lost their lives in World War II, and a lot of them, I'm starting to believe Robert was in vain because if we get to World War III, that just shows you that we did not learn from the mistakes of World War II, and that means that we will be damning the next generation of Americans and our our allies
3: as well. Well, what it seems like, with at least with World War Two, and then you know, and then what we hopefully aren't facing, but maybe uh, facing, and, and um, is that it seems like, as we mentioned earlier in the in the program tonight, is how there's a distinct possibility. Um, You know, is they're they're mad. I mean, I think I think I mean when I looked at Putin, I'm like, I, I think he's gone mad. And Hitler was mad, and so Xi Jinping would be mad, you know. And so and so I'm one. I mean, it, you know, they're just they're 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 mad. You know, I don't want to use the term mad men, but does um, it sound too much like a TV show? No, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's actually. If they get a war, I mean, we went to war because these guys were mad. They didn't think about the consequences of what's going to happen to themselves or the or, you know, or to the world. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're, they were mad. But if you think
2: about it, Robert, neither did the imperial Japanese think about their consequences either. Neither did the emperor. Neither did Adolf Hitler think of the consequences either. They didn't think of it, did they? They thought they were going to dominate the whole world, world domination. Japan takes over Asia. Italy and Germany takes over Europe and then works their way into America. They were mad too, completely mad, megalomaniacs. Not so much the the emperor of Japan, but um, Hitler and Mussolini, that's for sure. Uh, And that didn't stop them from trying to uh, dominate the world, but still the Allies reacted, and they fought the great fight, the great fight to rescue the world from the grips of tyranny. And if, hypothetically, China does invade Taiwan, North Korea continues to shoot their ballistic missiles into Japanese waters, we have no choice but to basically have a World War III. What else would you call it? Because you basically would have the full might of the American military leading the world with their allies, which would include Germany, Canada, Italy, Spain, France, England, basically all of Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, forget it. I don't don't even want to think that that's even going to happen. But it's so realistic that it will if those countries decide to make those moves. Because as you said, Robert, they may think now is the time. But like I said, they have not learned from the mistakes of World War II. They're repeating history themselves. They're mad men who think that they are going to Dominate the world and take over. But in the end, how'd that work out for the Nazis? How'd that work out for the imperial Japanese? How did that work out for the fascist Italians under Mussolini? It didn't work out too well. And it cost us over 50 million lives.
3: Yeah, and I uh, – and now one of the things, I mean – and and I said this a long time ago, um, that and this may have been you know when it first started the show uh, is that, I mean what's happening in in Russia and China and the power they have, it's kind of our fault. And what I mean by that is that through my I mean uh, we're we're continuing to buy Ru- I mean in the short term I think Russia is kind of our fault because. Uh, and I'm not talking about the people. I'm, I mean, in, in Russia's case, I think it's, uh, you know, our government's fault because we, um, you know, if it gets government, I mean, we're, you know, I'm talking about this regime, you know, with, t- you know, taking us off of being energy independent, okay? And so now, I mean, you kind of force the hand instead of us being a, an exporter uh, of, you know, of oil, uh, then, you know, the, Europeans are going to go somewhere, right? And so they went to uh, they went to Russia to get their energy, and you know, and then look what Biden did to shut down our energy, our own energy production. So I think uh, this is kind of a crisis our own, of our own making uh, when it comes to Obama. I mean, sorry, uh, it, might, it might as well be Obama. You know, Biden attacking Russia now as to China. I, I blame the, the increasing power. In part, uh, to the American consumer, and I mean, frankly, including myself, I mean, you cannot turn hardly anything around in your house and then not say made in China. I mean, they they build everything, not everything, but you know what I mean. I mean, the vast majority of the stuff that you have in your house, probably turn it around and it says made in China. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I'm not going to say how many years ago where you would flip something around and you actually would see a lot of things they said made in Taiwan or, or somewhere else, but because we want cheap goods, you know, we want inexpensive goods. You know, we don't want to spend the extra dollars to have it made in America is, you know, Biden, of course, during election year is now saying during the state of the union that, Oh yeah, buy American. It's like, well, you know, you should have been saying this a long time ago, just like, uh, you know, uh, other of, you know the things he mentioned are topics that we hear. You know almost every like you know almost every administration or in this case regime. You know I mean I, you've heard me opine a lot of times about uh, you know how we just keep repeating the same old things over and over and over again uh, when we, when it comes to the different things. You know oh let's take care of the the border. Uh, you know let's take care of that. Oh, let's take care of, um, you know, you know, cancer. We've heard that before. I mean, uh, you know, I love Trump, but Trump said that too. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, securing our borders. I mean, that, it's for 40 years, 50 years we've been talking about, you know, uh, talking about these things. But when are we ever going to make any, a, you know, any progress on it?
2: And, and that's what, that's, that's of really, that's really
3: frustrating to me. I mean, if we're going to buy American, let's let's
2: buy American. Absolutely, absolutely. And ninety percent of our pharmaceuticals used to come from China, which is very scary.
3: But however,
2: under President Trump's in his first term, we had peace all over the globe. We didn't have any international conflict. We were not engaged in any international conflict in any way, shape, or form, exception of. Obliterating ISIS, which was a key campaign promise, and that's what he did. He, he wiped ISIS off of the face of the, world, uh, of the map and assassinating Baghdadi uh, from Iran. But if you think about it, Robert, for four years, we basically had peace and prosperity. The president brokered four historical Middle East peace agreements. The world was calm. The world was an insane, and when Biden, the moment they rigged the election, the moment he was inaugurated, he undid everything, every policy that Trump implemented, only because Trump implemented it, just on that basis. So he basically undid all the amazing progress. Exactly that that President Trump did. And that's why I honestly I don't I, I, I honestly don't think that Trump can get it all fixed in four years. I really think who he chooses as his VP is really important because I think it's gonna take eight years to undo all the damage that Biden has already done and ladies and gentlemen we still have three more years of this Rick uh, this uh no, i can't show.
3: believe that
2: exactly so does anyone honestly think that trump can fix it in just four years i i, I don't think
3: so. well i mean he did get no. a lot accomplished his first he did get a lot accomplished his first four years he did but remember
1: he
2: never did that much damage in his first yeah. 13 months not even obama ranks in that level in comparison, Obama's a saint. So um we're uncharted waters here. Uh this is absolutely the worst disaster of any other presidency in history. And we're only thirteen months in. Thirteen months oh. in. So I honestly oh, no. don't, it's, it's, I think it's it was
3: amazing, was... uh it's just amazing how fast yeah, it's amazing how fast things went downhill with uh Obama in office. It's just it's, it's amazing. Correct. Now, in 13 I, I, months,
2: how things that went downhill with with Biden.
3: Right. Yeah, that's what I meant with Biden. And um, now, because I, you know, I just, you know, in the description here, told the audience that we're also going to have the uh, the State of the the Republicans' response. And there's definitely so much more. You know, we could talk about about the uh, the, the you know, Biden's part in the State of the Union. So let's go ahead and get the Republican response, yeah, so we can have it here on the podcast, uh, for people can access it here on uh, on BARD's logic. And we can make some commentary on that, because that, that's gonna bring us to the bottom of our, and we literally leave us about half an hour left in the show. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get that played for everybody. Okay.
4: And instead of moving America forward, It feels like President Biden and his party have sent us back in time to the late 70s and early 80s when runaway inflation was hammering families, a violent crime wave was crashing our cities, and the Soviet Army was trying to redraw the world map. Even before taking the oath of office, the president told us that he wanted to, quote, make America respected around the world again and to unite us here at home. He's failed on both fronts. The disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal did more than cost American lives; It betrayed our allies and emboldened our enemies. North Korea is testing missiles again at an alarming rate. The Speaker of the House recently warned our Olympic athletes not to speak out against China. And now Russia has launched an unprovoked, full-scale military invasion of Ukraine, an attack on democracy, freedom, and the rule of law. Now all Americans must stand united in solidarity with the brave people of Ukraine as they courageously defend their country against Putin's tyranny, as they fight for their freedom. But we shouldn't ignore what happened in the run-up to Putin's invasion waiving sanctions on Russian pipelines while eliminating oil production here at home, focusing on political correctness rather than military readiness, reacting to world events instead of driving them. Weakness on the world stage has a cost, and the President's approach to foreign policy has consistently been too little, too late. It's time for America to once again project confidence It's time to be decisive. It's time to lead. But we can't project strength abroad if we're weak at home. And that's what I want to discuss with you tonight. The President and Democrats in Congress have spent the last year either ignoring the issues facing Americans or making them worse. They were warned that spending trillions would lead to soaring inflation. They were told that their anti-energy policies would send gas prices to new heights, but they plowed ahead anyway, raising the price at the pump by 50% and pushing inflation to a 40-year high. Four decades ago, when our nation was last reeling from inflation, I was a young working mom just starting out. My husband Kevin worked days while I watched our girls, and then we would literally switch. We would pass in the yard as he was coming home, and I was leaving to work evenings at the local grocery store. From across that checkout counter, I saw the pain of inflation on my neighbors' faces. I saw what happens when prices rise faster than wages. The Biden administration believes inflation is a, quote, high-class problem. I can tell you it's an everybody problem. I saw moms' and dads' paychecks buy them less and less, I watched working people choose which essentials to take home and which ones to leave behind. And now President Biden's decisions have a whole new generation feeling that same pain. When I took the oath of office five years ago, I promised Iowans that I would never lose sight of who I was working for, that I wouldn't become detached from the problems they were facing, from the problems that I had faced myself. But you don't have to check groceries to see what high inflation does to people. You just need to step outside of the DC bubble. Talk to Americans about what's on their mind. Ask them, what are your concerns? What keeps you up at night? And they'll tell you. And I can tell you what's not on that list. They won't tell you that spending trillions more and bankrupting their children is the answer to their problems. They won't tell you that we should be paying people not to work. And they certainly won't tell you that we should give billions in tax giveaways to millionaires and billionaires in Democrat-controlled states like California, New York, and New Jersey. But that's what the Biden administration has been pushing for over the last year. And that's all part of Build Back Better. Thankfully, the president's agenda didn't pass because even members of his own party said enough is enough. Well, the American people share that view. Enough is enough. And it's not just with BC spending. Americans are tired of a political class trying to remake this country into a place where an elite few tell everyone else what they can and cannot say, what they can and cannot believe, They're tired of people pretending the way to end racism is by categorizing everybody by their race. They're tired of politicians who tell parents they should sit down, be silent, and let government control their kids' education and future. Frankly, they are tired of the theater, where politicians do one thing when the cameras are rolling and another when they believe you can't see them. Where governors and mayors enforce mandates, but don't follow them. Where elected leaders tell their citizens to stay home while they sneak off to Florida for sun and fun. Where they demand that your child wear a mask, but they go maskless. So you've heard the excuses. They were just holding their breath, but it's the American people who are waiting to exhale waiting for the insanity to stop. We now live in a country where violent crime is out of control. Liberal prosecutors are letting criminals off easy, and many prominent Democrats still want to defund the police. You know, it seems like everything is backwards. The Biden administration requires vaccines for Americans who want to go to work or protect this country but not for migrants who illegally cross the border. The Department of Justice treats parents like domestic terrorists, but looters and shoplifters roam free. The American people are left to feel like they're the enemy. This is not the same country it was a year ago. The president tried to paint a different picture tonight, but his actions over the last 12 months don't match the rhetoric. It's not what he promised when he took office. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is an alternative. Across the nation, Republican governors and legislators are showing Americans what conservative leadership looks like, what it means to respect the people we serve, to hear them out, to stand up for them and walk alongside them. We know that our problems require bold action, but we also know that bold action doesn't have to mean government action. It's Americans making their own decisions for their own families and future. Republican governors faced the same COVID-19 virus head on. But we honored your freedoms and saw right away that lockdowns and school closures, they came with their own significant cost. that mandates weren't the answer. And we actually listen to the science, especially with kids in masks and kids in schools. What happened and is still happening to our children over the last two years is unconscionable. Learning loss, isolation, anxiety, depression. In so many states, our kids have been left behind, and so many will never catch up. That's why Iowa was the first state in the nation to require that schools open their doors. I was attacked by the left. I was attacked by the media. But it wasn't a hard choice. It was the right choice. And keeping schools open is only the start of the pro-parent, pro-family revolution that Republicans are leading in Iowa and states across this country. Republicans believe that parents matter. It was true before the pandemic and it has never been more important to say out loud. Parents matter. They have a right to know and to have a say in what their kids are being taught. Families also have every right to live in a safe and a secure community. And that begins with a safe and secure country. But the Biden administration has refused to secure our border. They've refused to provide the resources to stop human trafficking, to stop the staggering influx of deadly drugs coming into our neighborhoods. They've refused to protect you. With Texas and Arizona leading the way, I, along with Republican governors from several states, have sent resources to the border. And we've actually gone to the border, something that our president and vice president have yet to do since taking office. On the economy, the contrast couldn't be more stark. While Democrats in D.C. are spending trillions, sending inflation soaring, Republican leaders around the country are balancing budgets and cutting taxes because we know that money spent on Main Street is better than money spent on bureaucracy. Today, I signed legislation that eliminates Iowa's tax on retirement income and sets our tax rate at 3.9%. That's less than half of what it was just four years ago. And it shouldn't come as a surprise that out of the top 20 states with the lowest unemployment rates, 17 have Republican governors. Republicans may not have the White House, but we're doing what we can to fill the leadership vacuum. And on the issues that are affecting Americans, Republicans are leading. We're standing up for parents and kids. We're standing up for life. We're keeping our communities safe and thanking those in uniform. We're fighting to restore America's energy independence, and, and that includes biofuels. We're getting people back to work, not paying them to stay home. Most of all, we're respecting your freedom. Behind me stands Iowa's Capitol, where we display our state motto, our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. And those aren't just empty words. It's a belief that the greatness of this state and this country lies in our people, not government. You shouldn't have to wake up every morning and worry about the next thing the government is going to do to you, your business, or your children. If we as elected leaders are doing our job, then the government is working well but operating in the background. It's supporting the ingenuity and spirit of our people, not drowning them out. It's keeping them safe, not restricting their freedom. That's what I believe, that's what Republicans believe, and that's what Republicans are doing. I am so blessed to be the governor of Iowa, where people are humble, hardworking, and patriotic. We take care of each other, and yes, we are as they say, Iowa nice, but you don't have to be from Iowa to see that those are the values of America at its best, all of America. Over the last few years, I've put my faith in Iowans, and they haven't let me down. I encourage this president to do the same, to put his faith in you, the American people, who have never wavered in your belief in this country, regardless of who leads it. Because you know, you've shown that the soul of America isn't about who lives in the White House. It's men and women like you in every corner of this nation who are willing to step up and take responsibility for your communities, for your neighbors, and ultimately for yourself. By that most important measure, at least, the state of our union is indeed strong. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. And instead of moving America forward, it feels like President Biden and his party have sent us back in and instead of moving America forward: I thought I'd turn it down, but,
3: yeah, when I was listening, to, I wish they would have, like, bring you back in, Joseph. Uh, I wish they would have had her in a different uh, venue because it was actually pretty noisy uh, where she was at. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't just, like, back, you know, background stuff, you know, from, from the recording. It was actually noisy there. I mean, there were times you could hear trains going by. So I, don't know why, I mean, she was outside. I mean, I don't know why they had – or maybe by an open window or something, but it sounded like she was outside. I don't know why they picked that as a venue for for her to give the speech or the response.
2: First of all, I don't I don't understand why they would choose a governor who doesn't have any name recognition. Because prior to her making the response, I was like, "Who is she?" And then she gives a lot of references to Iowa and how successful she's been as a governor, but that's not supposed to be the response from the GOP about the State of the Union you're supposed to be focusing on what's going on as a nation not what's going on in Iowa she was speaking as though she was at a state of a state address and number three uh, she was very aloof she didn't have passion and conviction in her voice Um, and she forgot the biggest issue of this whole uh, occupier-in-chief, I don't even know what to say anymore, the biggest issue of these policies since this pandemic, uh, up two years ago, she forgot to mention everything that the left has done with their COVID restrictions and their lockdowns. That has put us in the position that we're currently at today. And she definitely didn't touch on Afghanistan. And she definitely didn't go too much further into details about becoming energy independent again. She was very vague on that. And so I wasn't impressed at all. Uh, I think they should have put someone there who was going to speak with conviction and passion in their voice. And maybe throw a couple of jabs and call out a couple of people in the party and talk more about what the GOP will do when they take over the House and the Senate and the presidency. Yeah, that would be good to hear. Correct. It's basically she she didn't lay out the GOP agenda for 2022 and 2024. So I honestly think Dan Quayle could have done a better job.
3: Yeah, I remember saying that. It was, uh, yeah, I thought it was, you know, much like Biden's speech. Uh, and I hate saying it may have even been worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think maybe somebody uh, like Noam, perhaps, would have been good or DeSantis would have been good uh, for, you know, the response. Uh, you know, why her? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, she didn't make a, some a good point. So, um, you know, what one thing that was telling uh, that she pointed out is, you know, when Nancy Pelosi, you know, was telling the people at the, you know, at the Olympics, had, don't speak out against China. I mean, what does that tell you? I mean, if that does not convey weakness, I mean, here's the thing is Let's be honest, she probably didn't have to say that at all. I can't imagine, and I'll be honest, I, I don't watch the Olympics, I, even when they weren't in China. I, I really never watched the Olympics. They just never really had. Uh, now the Summer Olympics, I might, you know, since we're in it after dark, I, I may mention that, you know, during the Summer Olympics, I, I may have watched a few matches of the female volleyball, Um but beyond that, I really haven't had much interest in uh, in the Olympics. But that being said, I, I just can't imagine that you would have people who are in China and, frankly, knowing China and competing in China would actually say something against China while they're there. So I don't even think Nancy Pelosi even needed to point out the fact that they shouldn't say anything against China. Um What I do think is that her pointing that out actually made us look weak again. Again, you have an American politician who's making statements that is making our nation look weak.
2: Kind of like what FDR did in 1936 when the Americans knew what was going on in Nazi Germany, when they knew that Hitler was a a dictator – And there was no freedom of speech. There was no freedom of press. Uh, And they were rounding up the Jews. And they were putting them in concentration camps. And despite that, they attended the Olympics in Berlin in 1936. Wouldn't be the first time, Robert. And that's sad. That's why I was emphasizing earlier. It's sad that you would think almost anyone who's anyone would have learned from the mistakes of of World War II, and it turns out a vast majority of the world hasn't. Scary, Robert. We should have boycotted the Olympics in 1936. A lot of our allies should have boycotted the Olympics. See, here's the myth. The myth is Pearl Harbor is what caused the Americans to get into the World War. And to ally with uh, with uh, Germany, I'm I'm sorry, sorry about that. With um, England and France, and to fight against Germany and Italy and Japan. And if you think about it, when uh, Hitler, prior to 1939, if you were a Jew, you could still leave Germany. You had to liquidate all your assets and pay it to the Third Reich. FDR didn't accept any uh, Jews from Europe or any Jews from Germany uh, seeking political asylum. Actually, it was France and Britain that took the bulk of them. So FDR knew what was going on. He knew what what Hitler was trying to achieve, and they turned the blind eye. They actually turned the blind eye because they had the wrong leadership. They had the wrong leadership, there's no doubt about that. And that's what we are facing today. Another FDR scenario, you know, when people praise FDR, he was this wonderful president who managed to be the first president and only president in history to serve three terms. Uh, No, the Great Depression, you know, occurred under his watch. Allowing Japan to build up their military to where they were, to becoming the most dominant militaries in the world and also Germany under his watch. Knowing that all these Jews were trying to escape persecution. Knowing what Germany was doing, the war crimes that they were committing. Knowing what the Japanese, the war crimes they were committing. And they all turn the blind eye. That's what happens when America has weak leadership. History has always taught us those lessons, and we we wind up only learning it the hard way, or sometimes not learning it at all. Robert.
3: One another thing she pointed out. I mean, because I mean, there were some some good things that were pointed out, uh, like she said that you know we're reacting. This this regime is reacting to world events, and that's exactly what's happened. I mean, I I think that there could have been measures put in to stop uh, Putin from invading Ukraine. I mean, for people to say this was inevitable, I don't think so. I think if America was in a stronger position, you know, and of course – now, if Trump was in office, I don't think – I definitely don't think that uh, Putin would have invaded – Ukraine, uh, because he he didn't during the four years Trump was in office, and I think it would continue to be uh, that way. Um, but I think even with Biden in office, there could have been things going on. But, I mean, for some reason, our military is more concerned about being woke than it is doing its job of defending, you know, the interests of these United States. And you know, I, I find it interesting that you have the Democrats who are always, you know, you know, saying how they're the defenders of democracy, but they did, and, and they say, "Oh, you we're Ukraine to democracy." But besides wearing a bunch of flags and, and saying they're behind Ukraine, I mean, really, both, both before the invasion and after, you know, what, what the hell are they doing? I mean, they're, they're giving. It sounds like they're giving a lot of lip service, and. They're saying that they're doing a lot of things, but it hasn't shown – whatever they're doing has not shown to uh, hinder what Putin is trying to do or wanting to do. She should have
2: started from the beginning. She should have reminded Americans of how the election was rigged, or maybe let's say she didn't have to go into that. She should have at least reminded how many Americans have suffered under these liberal Lockdown policies. She should have brought up Afghanistan. I mean, if you're going to make the rebuttal, if you're going to give the GOP response, I mean, it it makes common sense to go over all uh, kind of recap all of the blunders of the occupiers and the chief, especially when they're quite significant blunders like Afghanistan, like continuing these mad COVID lockdowns, like the crisis on the border. You know, you've got to start from the beginning, and that's why I want to emphasize again, for candidates who are running up and down the ballot on the Republican ticket, you have to, at every single rally, at every single fundraiser, at every single event, keep on pounding the truth into the American people. Remind them every single day what and how many Americans have suffered under these cancerous, liberal, socialist, fascist, communist policies. I mean, Robert, you brought up a big point. Will Americans remember? Well, a good way to ensure they remember is keep on pounding that pavement. Keep on reminding them. And that's where the governor failed. She did not do a whole recap of this disastrous 13 months and two of the biggest ones were the border and Afghanistan. And she basically left those two issues alone as if it ever happened. So in my opinion, I think that was by far one of the weakest GOP responses to any state of the union. I mean, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't talk about the whole picture. She left a lot of important blunders under the Biden regime that were left out. So to me, that wasn't a full response. That wasn't what the American people were hoping to listen to. They were hoping to listen to someone who was going to read the whole list of indictments and not leave anything out. And she did not go after the establishment in her own party. She did not try to draw the contrast of the civil war and the GOP that we face today against the elites like Mitch McConnell, like Mitt Romney, like Susan Collins, like Steve Scalise. She left them out. You got to throw the punches, Robert. You're doing a a rebuttal. You also got to bring to the attention that we've had a, a divided GOP for a very long time, and that's the problem. We got half of the GOP. Who might as well be in bed with the Democrats and the liberals. They help collaborate with the enemy, which are the liberals. (laughs) To me, they're like enemies of the state. They conspired as well. They continue to conspire as well. And I'm very disappointed that she didn't call people out. I mean, darn it, when Trump goes to his rallies, he calls people out. And that's what you got to do. You want to win these pivotal midterms, you've got to duke it out. Compassionate conservatism, it never worked. George W. Bush tried it for eight years. How'd that work out for conservatism? We've got to be brutal. We've got to be ten times more lethal. We've got to be ten times more malevolent. We've got to be willing to be ten times more aggressive. Because let me remind you, The typical conservative argument for decades has been, oh, but we're not like the Democrats. Yeah, we won't stoop to their level. Yeah, we we pride ourselves in our principles. Well, you can't defeat evil with kindness. You can only defeat evil with a greater evil. And Donald Trump reminded Republicans and conservatives how that was done when he won in 2016, he reminded them that this is the way of how you win elections. This is what you do. You have balls, you have the gut, and you throw the punches and you lay it all on the table. You take the risk. You let the chips fall where they may. But you wage a true war. Even Trump understands. You can't defeat evil with kindness. And those so-called conservatives Or so-called Republicans that have been doing this for over 30, 40 years? Yeah, how's that working out for you now? Evil can only be defeated by a greater evil. And I'm sorry, but I will say that's where I give the Democrats credit. When it comes to doing whatever is necessary to win an election, they will all toe the line. And they will bring out their ugly, dark side, and they won't hesitate. It's about damn time we start doing the same thing, because until we do so, we will never be able to be viable contenders against the left-wing Democratic Party. And I can't believe time flies when you're having fun. There's only 15 minutes left on the show. So I will leave that as my closing comments for tonight. I also would like to ask you, what is your position on that? before you have your closing comments on the compassionate conservatism route versus the route Donald Trump took, and it worked. I'm sorry. This is politics. It's, 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 it's a brutal arena. They go for the jugular. It's brutal. That's the way it's always been. You're going to win, and you're going to win big. You can't win with kindness. In a utopia, sure, you could. But in reality, you don't win with kindness. This notion of, oh, we can't do that, we would stoop to their level, well, that's why they continue to be in power. Because then you can't beat them in an election. An election they haven't rigged, of course. You can only defeat evil with a greater evil. Donald J. Trump proved that. It's time that true conservatives fall into line as well. Always a pleasure to be on the People Show. It's an honor, privilege. God bless you, Robert. Thank you for giving me the time to be on tonight. Thank you for playing the State of the Union and the GOP rebuttal for all our loyal listeners out there. This is truly the People Show. Good night. God bless. I'm still going to be on the line. And uh, the floor is- all yours.
3: Well, after the capacity of conservatives, uh, yeah, it's shown that it hasn't been working. Um and I've said that, you know, for a while that we do need to adopt some of the uh the Democrats' tactics, the the left tactics. Uh and, and I think like you know, much like the Tea Party, we need to um yeah, take it to the streets. I'm not saying violently. So I mean, we need to come out in the millions, really, uh, you know, in, into the streets. Um, you know, you hear about the convoy going to, you know, D.C. DC. Well, we'll hear more about that. But I think we we need to do that because I think right now uh, a narrative may be that you know we're we're not the majority, which I, I think you know I think we are. Uh, I mean, especially with that what happened in 2020 where they're they're trying to. Think, The Democrats act like they had a a referendum, but they haven't. Um, I I mean, I don't even think they won at all. I mean, I do think that they cheated. Uh, So, yeah, we do got to get some of their tactics. I've also said that, you know, I hope, you know, I don't want to say it's too late, maybe, but we at least have to try, is to start getting ourselves in some of the areas that the Democrats or the liberals have taken over, such as academia, such as entertainment, uh, you know, such as um you know in social you know social work areas uh, you know these are the places that you know influence you know people's minds let's be honest uh these are the types of uh, of areas where people are are you know are influenced now and you you've heard me say i mean that's what the left has done i mean they they've put themselves in in jobs and positions that are are used to influence people whether it's uh the media whether it's entertainment whether it is you know academia i mean i mean they're influencers i mean the, while conservatives are the cog of america uh the the left is the the influence you know, influencers of, of america and so i think that's you know we need to get ourselves in into those areas as well and i think that's going to uh to help us you know greatly to do that um but yeah, I mean, we got to get, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want to say, you know, get evil, <laughs> but we do, we certainly do have to open up some of their tactics, uh, you know, use some of the tactics that that, that they've used. Now that being said, I want to look forward. Uh, you know, there's certainly some more things in the State of the Union I want to, you know, discuss. Uh, of course, one of the things that, you know, really was disappointed, not surprised, but disappointed. Uh, You know, as part of his, you know, unity agenda, and I don't know why they don't do it, but there's not one mention of the Spacer Artemis program. Uh, I just don't know why politicians just refuse to bring this up because, I mean, uh, of the importance of it. And I really do think it could be part of a unity agenda. And and, and I think it's kind of uh, hypocritical for the Biden regime to have two points of uh, contention, you know, of their unity, or two of their points of their unity agenda, being something that's to help clean up the mess that they've made uh, over these past, two, you know, two, three years, and that is what the, you know, the opioid epidemic, uh, and I think caused by our open border, and the mental health, especially of children, because what they've done to our young children uh, with, with ostracizing them and making them wear masks and, and things of that nature, and and and, bo- and vaccinating children that, that really don't need to be vaccinated. Uh, so, but yeah, I would have liked to see, you know, more about, but again, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, that the space program uh, was not brought up. But that, I mean, again, the, this is not the party of the, you know, this Democrat party is not the party of JFK any longer. But anyway, looking uh, forward, uh, I have been, and, and uh, we had to postpone, uh, Samuel Mangold-Lennett coming on the show. Uh, he's uh, had to go away for a while. Um, I don't, don't want to give, you know, a- anything away. Um, nothing, nothing bad. I just wanted to postpone uh, him coming on to the show. Um, I'm hoping in a couple of weeks we're going to do lunch, but we may have uh, him on. Now, uh, Samuel uh, Mangold-Lennett, he is uh, a writer for The Blaze. You may be familiar with, uh, you know, with that media outlet uh theblaze.com um he, he, he's an he writes articles there for the blaze we're looking to have a him onto the program um i'm a i hate to say it but i've about given up on getting congressman steve shabin on uh because i just i'm just not getting any any response i've been working also on but i haven't gotten a response unfortunately on you know you know other candidates but you know uh, you know, I guess they're uh, – I just haven't heard back, back from them, which, which, which I do know. I mean, I know they get inundated uh, with requests, I mean, some more than others. Uh, I may talk to uh, a few people, you know, see if they can, you know, pull some strings for us uh, to get them. Like one, one candidate uh, that I'm trying to get on uh, the program, um, you know, she's the one running against uh, Liz Cheney. And been trying to reach out uh, to Hagman uh, to try to get uh, her onto the show, uh, but we'll um, you know again we'll we'll, we'll see. I've, I've reached out a number of times and haven't heard any response, but so I don't know if, it's, if, that, if that's worth the effort anymore. Uh, but anyway, I do see that yeah we are uh, running out of time before I have to close things out. Of course, as always, I want to appreciate uh, everyone coming to the show. Uh, whether you're listening live uh, tonight or whether you listen to the podcast. Um, definitely tell your friends about the show. We'd like to uh, have people come on. I mean, I don't we, we have the listeners out there. We had some callers tonight. They just that uh, They had some that raised their hand during the uh, playing the State of the Union, and so that's why we didn't get them to the show. I mean, I, I thought I plainly put on that, you know, we would be playing it in its entirety, uh, but they left uh, before the, you know, we stop playing the, the audio. So, you know, if you look to the podcast, hopefully they'll uh, give us a call back. Uh, you know, Joseph, I mean, I know Kelly has a few people uh, that he's wanting to, uh, get on uh, the program. I'm, uh, not going to mention, but I'm, I'm actually in a campaign right now. So I am actually running for an office. I do have uh it's a primary. I'm in a primary. So I do have a competitor who is actually a well-known, uh, person here uh in the area so i'm I'm running for the very first time for something in a race that against where i'm i'm virtually an unknown really I've never run for anything before in my life uh and i mean this person is actually the wife of a former politician <laughs> so uh, she certainly has name recognition uh you know she even has a nickname that everybody knows so that that that's going to be a daunting task uh you know for my very first campaign that i've ever had <laughs> so anyway uh i am going to you know close out tonight as i do every night and that is with the song by aubrey ashburn and while she's not doing music anymore you can hear my interview that we did back in 2012 uh i am getting ready to reach out to people for our 10-year anniversary uh, to see if we could get people come onto the show to celebrate with us. Cause, yes, this June, I believe second, is when uh, Bard's Logic is going to have its 10-year anniversary. I can't believe I've been doing doing this for a decade. Um, got to talk to uh, you know some really uh, cool people, some cool organizations. Uh, you know, got an opportunity to make some good friends, and also, you know, of course, with our panel here. Uh, but we will uh, hopefully, you know, get them on for our 10-year anniversary, and I hope you out there will join us. So take care, folks, and we will see you next time uh, here on BARD's Logic Political Talk, the grassroots uh, We the People Show. Uh Take care, and I hope you have a good week, and as we say, good night.
1: Good night.